You're listening to WBC Audio. My name's Jeremy, and I'm a local pastor here in Whitehorse, Yukon Territory. Let's jump into this week's message. If you're new to Whitehorse Baptist, you might not know Raven, and uh, Raven has obviously come a long way, and uh, she, is, she now oversees our outreach ministry, and it is quite miraculous what the Lord has, has done in your life. Hey, Raven? We're super thankful that you shared your story with us and uh, continue to share your story with people. Raven's story is just one of many that we've been sharing each and every week uh, as part of this series, How I Met Jesus, hearing stories of real life people like you and I and, and how Jesus transforms their life and also studying John's gospel. Out of the four gospels, the gospel of John focuses heavily on the relationships Jesus had with people, the conversations that took place when, when Jesus kind of intercepted their life and transformed it and, and they were on a different trajectory. He did that way back 2,000 years ago and he continues to do that like in people's lives like Raven. And so we're going to read about an account today where there was a man who, who, who was in a lot of trouble for 38 years really couldn't do much on his own. And he had an encounter with Jesus, a miraculous encounter with Jesus, and Jesus healed him. But what we find in this account that when Jesus heals someone, it's often more than just the healing. That his action, his miracles that he does reverberates out into the world around us. And we're going to see that today. Turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 18. John 5, 1 through 18. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed, did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and as there was a large crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, 
and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling him, call, even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. All right, before we get into the why, because there's a big why here, why did Jesus heal this man? It says there was multitudes in, in these colonnades. Why did he seek out? Why did he know this guy? Why did he save him? Or why did he heal him? What's the point? But before we do that, I want to I talk about a bit of an old English word. Okay, this word invalids or invalid. Okay, we need to be careful sometimes. It's not a word we often use in our culture. It's very, very different than invalid, though it's spelt the same thing in our in our English language. The concept in verse three of invalids is people who are weak or feeble or sick. This is the understanding. We see that it's mentioned that there's lame, blind, paralyzed. This is kind of a gathering area, kind of a hot spring type area where people who are in need of, of relief, maybe even just a little relief, they, they gather there and they go into this hot spring when it's, when it's stirred up for a bit of relief. Even today, many hot springs are gathering places for people who have ailments and, and the hot springs kind of help them. So this is what's going on here. And this word invalid in verse five, talking specifically about this man who's been invalid for 38 years, the concept, he's, he's in want of strength. He's weak. He's ill. He's suffering. He's in calamity. He, he's frail. This is the concept. We don't know if he's paralyzed. We don't know if maybe he had a serious illness or disease that caused him to be this way. But this man this man cannot even get himself into the pool without people, you know, getting in front of him. He, he obviously has to drag himself along the ground. This is, the, this is what we're seeing here. He is in rough shape, and he's been in rough shape for a long, long time, almost 40 years. So let's ask the question, why did Jesus heal this man? Why him? Out of all the other people, why did Jesus heal this man? It says in verse five, one man that was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And look at this, verse six, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there. We, we kind of looked at this in some, in some past chapters, some past accounts in John. John shows us that Jesus doesn't just seemingly come across people. He, he often, there's this terminology of he's finding them or he knows them. With Nathaniel, Philip and Nathaniel, he found Philip and he had already saw Nathaniel before he even interacted with him. Jesus is God. John's trying to make this very clear to anyone who's reading this. Jesus is God and he sees people, knows people before he ever interacts with them. For some reason, Jesus saw this man, saw his pain, saw his calamity far before. Out of all the people there, think of it, multitudes of people are there. But Jesus saw him, knew him. Why him? Well, maybe the, the first kind of layer of this is the obvious that Jesus chose to show mercy on him. For whatever reason, he chose him to show mercy on him. Let's take a look at this guy's life. Let's, let's ask what it must have been like. When we read this account, we sometimes maybe assume, okay, is this an elderly man? Did he have a working life and maybe 
Maybe he got a disease in his working life as a, as a young man, and, or maybe he was injured and paralyzed. What happened? What, what happened in this guy's life that left him to this, this state for 38 years? Well, I'm 38, so then I think, well, wait a second. Maybe this, this guy's been this, his whole, this way his whole life. Like maybe he was born without the use of his feet or, or caught a disease early on in his life when he was a small boy. And, and maybe he's the same age as me, but he can't work. He can't do anything. He just has to crawl or, or drag himself around the ground. And he's, he's found this place where, where lots of other people that have affirmities have gathered. And he just sleeps there and stays there because he's got nowhere else. But then there's this thing, he says, no one helps me into the pool when it gets stirred up. So when the minerals all start stirring in the water and he desperately wants some relief, no one helps him. And even if he tries to drag himself in, people cut in front of him and push him out of the way. He can't even get himself in. So you automatically say, okay, wait a second, where's this guy's family? He's related to someone. Does this guy have no friends? Is there really no one? No one will help him in. And how long has there been no one? Are we just talking about today or just this year? Are we talking about the eight years or the 38 years? How long has this guy had no one? How long has this guy been trying to drag himself into the pool for a little bit of relief and no one will help this guy out? How long? These are all questions I want to know, but I think they're important questions as we see Jesus walk into this colonnade and as he looks over. I I don't think it was that he didn't have mercy on everyone else, but for some reason he's like, you know what, this guy, I'm going to spend a bit of time with this guy. 38 years. He doesn't even have anyone that can roll him into the pool for a little relief. This guy. I'm going to choose this guy. And it says he knew him. So sure enough, see, verse eight. Get up. Take your bed and walk. Heals him. Boom. His bed. This little mat, maybe. I can't imagine what it looked like, but this is like this guy's only possession. Other than maybe the clothes on him, is covering this. Is, this is probably it. He probably has to beg for food, beg for a bit of money to get food and, and water. This is his only possession. Take it up and go. But this instruction that Jesus gives, take up your bed and walk. This is actually the start of another layer. The second layer, the second why, why did Jesus heal this man is that he's about to use his mercy and his healing to disrupt the control of the religious leaders. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about like Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders. They would take God's law, which is a good thing, and they would use it to control people. They, they would use it to abuse people, spiritual abuse, emotional abuse, trying to keep the people under control. And what Jesus is doing here, what he's done is going to disrupt this religious system. They're, they're messing things up. And, and we see this, we see this take place in, in verse 10. It says, so the Jews, okay, there's these, there's these religious leaders that it says to the man who had been healed, 
Hey, it's the Sabbath. Don't you know the rules? It's unlawful to carry your bed. Okay, let's get this. It's his only possession. Jesus told him to take it. Jesus could have said, leave your, leave your bed because when you step out of here, you're gonna get kind of caught by the religious police and they're gonna give you grief that you're carrying your bed. But he didn't. He said, take up your bed and walk. Not get up and walk, get up, roll up your bed and off you go. No one else at that time is gonna be carrying a bed because Sabbath law said that if you carry a bed, you carry a rolled up mat, then you are working and working is against the law on the Sabbath. Where does this come from? Maybe, maybe you're new to church. In the, in the old law, there was something instituted as a day of rest, a Sabbath day. Even God himself rested on the seventh day in creation. This idea for our own good, once we work six days, by the way, old school world, they had six day work weeks, not five. We have it better, just so we're clear on that. So they have six day work weeks and for physical health, for emotional health, uh, mental, relational, all these things, God's saying, hey folks, When you work hard for six days, stop for a day. It's good for you. This God's law of Sabbath was good for them. And so they set aside a Saturday and this is a Sabbath day and you would do no work. It's a good thing. Ah, but religious, these religious leaders, again, they want to use God's law to control people. So now they start layering and layering and layering. And, and all of a sudden, there's such a nitpicky way about things that, that again, a guy can't even take, take his mat with him. Let's think about it. He's been healed. He probably spent a lot of time in the colonnades. He can, he can actually, since he can walk there, maybe tonight he's going to sleep under a palm tree. It's a, it's a new look. It's a new day. I can maybe go get a job. I can, uh, I'm going to need this tonight. Or maybe this afternoon it's going to be a little hot and I'd like to take a nap. I kind of need this. Ah, but the law. No, you need to leave your mat back in the colonnades and tomorrow you can go back and get it. What? It's the only thing I have. It's my only possession. And this is what happens when religious control takes place, you've got this situation where, where law and common sense just come crashing against each other. And, and Jesus knows, Jesus knew ahead of time, man, they're going to really like this. Hey, don't just walk. I want you to roll up that mat and take it. And by the way, go ahead right out here. Jesus is seeing the whole scene. He's trying to address, you're taking something great that my father instituted it, instituted, and you're trying to use it to control people. You can't do that. And so look, look what's happening here. And we need to note something too. Sometimes in church world, even today, we're 2,000 years later, we still can sometimes, Christians, people who know and love Jesus, this is still something that, that Satan tempts us to. This is something still that our flesh can, can crawl back to. That we can start sometimes, we can miss the celebration These religious leaders missed the celebration. A man had been healed for 38 years. This guy's like, yeah, the man who healed me. Yeah, 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 I healed you. But what about your mat? We can do that. We can do that sometimes in church. We can miss people coming to the Lord. Lives transformed. People healed. Uh, Amazing things take place as I smash Kristen's mic. We can miss all this because we're focused on the mat. Uh, 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 But we have a rule here. 
And it can be a policy, a procedure, a certain way of doing things, a tradition, and all these things. And, and, and the enemy wants to, wants to pull us back into that religious control. And sometimes when we're so focused on the mat that we miss the healing. We miss the miracle. We miss the celebration. We miss all the amazing things that are going on because we're so laser focused on the mat. But this isn't right. But, but this is right. Yes, yes, someone came to know Jesus, but this is right. Yes, I know someone got healed. Church is growing. But the mat, the mat, I really don't like it that that guy's carrying his mat on a Saturday. This is it. It can still happen. And Jesus is like, I got to disrupt this thing and I'm going to use this miracle to do it. So here's the second layer, but it gets better. They're like, well, who is this guy that told you to take your mat? Oh yeah, I didn't catch his name. Okay, wait. So a guy heals you after 38 years, you didn't catch his name. Well, no, I guess I was just really excited or I think I was rolling up my mat at the time. You know, I, this is what happens. But Jesus has a plan. When he heals someone, it, it's, it, it's like a pebble in a pool. It's, like, it, it's, it's going to reverberate out. And so we see the third layer start to take place when he sees the guy at the temple. Maybe he went to the temple. He probably couldn't have gone to the temple before. But now he can walk. He can go in the temple. Maybe he wants to praise God for a bit. Who knows why he was there? But Jesus it says he found him. Uh, verse 14 Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. These words we need to see throughout John. Every time he's in this encounter, we see these things. Jesus found him. You know, Jesus saw him. Jesus called him. Everything throughout John, we see this unpacking that Jesus has a plan. He's got a plan, so he finds him. Now, at first look, we can, um, we can take what Jesus says here and we can make an, a, a kind of a assumptive um, statement in here that, that Jesus is saying something that he's not saying. We can read this and say, oh, see, this is, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if this guy ever sins again, well, he's just going to be paralyzed again. That's not what Jesus is saying. The context here is way different. He's trying to focus on transforming this guy's life, but not just his earthly life. His earthly life, he's got a second chance. He can work, maybe have a family again, uh, social functions. He could, like, he's free. He, it's like he's been out of a 38-year bondage. But Jesus is saying here, we need to catch what he's saying is, don't waste it. You, you've been healed, but sin no more. It's not that Jesus is saying, oh, he's never going to sin again. Jesus knows that. In the next week, he's probably definitely going to have a sinful thought or action or word. He's human. We're all going to sin again. But Jesus is saying, leave a life of sin. Don't take the freedom I've given you. Don't take the gift that I've given you that your legs work and you can work again and maybe get married or whatever it is. Don't take that and focus on yourself. Don't take the gift that you've been given and now just use this. You have a selfish, sinful life. Jesus is saying, I've transformed your legs. I've given you new legs, but now I want to transform your heart. I want to give you a new life. 
Don't waste it. You've been given a second chance at life. Use it. Because the end of sin is separation from God. The end of life with me is eternity with God. It's not really about his legs. It's something greater. And this is where Jesus just focuses in on his heart. Don't waste it. And ultimately, for those of us that have met Jesus and had that transformational experience, we, we're kind of like the guy in the temple. We have our life before Jesus where we're in sin and darkness. We really do not know where we're going, but we meet Jesus and it's a new life. We're a new creation. All of a sudden we have the promise. We know where we're going. That, and this earth, Jesus is showing here, this earth is momentary. This life is momentary, but it doesn't end you know, when we breathe our last breath. There's more to this. Make sure, make sure. I've healed you, but make sure that in the future, you're thinking past this life. That's the third layer, but look at the fourth layer. Fourth layer, the fourth answer to the why in verses 17 and 18. Jesus answers them, okay? Talking to the religious leaders. My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And this is John's journey throughout his gospel. This is like a throwback right to John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was Jesus Jesus was there at the start. Jesus is God. And so here we see in this part, now he's doing a big reveal. Now he's revealing his deity. He shows mercy. He disrupts the control of the religious leaders. He transforms the life and now he reveals his deity. How one man sitting by a pool gets healed, but look at the impact that Jesus does. This is the the miracle of God's sovereignty. The miracle of Jesus' plan is it's layers above layers above layers that it's not ever really about the thing. It's about so much more. We're all part of something bigger. And, and so Jesus here, he's saying, look, you, you religious leaders, you took something good from my father. You took something good and you abused it. You took something good and you used to control people. You took the old covenant and you just abused it. And now you've used it just to put a noose around your people, put them in bondage. Well, the new day is here. I'm here. And I can tell you now that my father is working. It might be a Sabbath day. It might be a Saturday, but my father is working. He's done with this. There's a new covenant coming in. And this new covenant is not going to allow you to control the people. This new covenant is not going to allow you to set standards and regulations and set classes of people. This new covenant that comes in, this is going to be for all people. And it's not going to be about the rules that you follow. It's going to be about their heart. My father is working and I am working too. This is a very, very stern warning to the religious leaders. And this is why the response that these religious leaders is this guy has got to die. We have got to take this guy out because the stuff he's teaching, it's, we're going to lose control of the people. As we go to communion today, I think um, the Lord often does something in our church that a lot of times when we're studying a certain passage, 
as a church. There are certain life scenarios that come into play and, and kind of overwhelm us at how real they are. You know, we're studying a passage where Jesus heals someone for a greater reason. And uh, so, you know, obviously I had to kind of look at things. This, this weekend was really tough for a lot of us. We as a church had to come together. We had to pray really hard for a little boy. And uh, the Lord has really shown us that he continues to reverberate healing for, for multiple layers of reasons. I, I really do believe that just like in this story, that when, when God chooses to heal someone, that sometimes it, we, we need to remember, it's not, always, it's not just about healing someone, that often there are, there are multiple factors. And he is so good and so sovereign and so all-encompassing, and he has bigger plans. So as we go to communion, I, I'm sorry that I was really emotional. It's been a really rough weekend, but you know, as we go to communion, I think this is an important thing. The greatest miracle that Jesus did for us is that he removed our sin from us. That, that this, this cup representing his blood, this bread rep- representing his body, that 2,000 years ago, he took the sin of every man, woman, and child. And he said, I'll take the penalty. And, and even though this afternoon I might sin, this week I... I probably will sin at some point, that it's gone. That's amazing. It's the greatest healing ever known in human history. That all sin, all pain, it's just gone. And that when I die, I can see Jesus. I can go to heaven. I have that security. But, but also, as we go to this table, maybe we need to have a moment too. Maybe some of you are really, you need healing. Maybe a physical ailment, maybe mental, spiritual, emotional. There's, there's lots of things that just beat us down in this world. We live in a fallen world. And I wish I could just, like some televangelist, get you to come up here, shake your head and heal you, but I can't. It doesn't work like that. I wish I could heal everyone here of everything. I really wish I could. But I do know that Jesus does choose to heal people. Right here, right now, before we take this bread and cup, we're going to have a time of thanksgiving for Jesus' sacrifice, but we're also going to have a time, I don't know what you're going with, but I want to pray for you. I'm thinking of you. I don't know all your details, but I'm going to pray for you. And if you're thinking of someone who's, who's in need of healing, let's lift them to the Lord. Let's, uh, let's pray that the Lord heals our church, heals our city. Thanks for listening to Whitehorse Baptist Church Audio. If this message has made an impact in your life today, we'd love to hear from you. You can also download past messages, share them with a friend, or find out how you can partner with us to keep this ministry going. For all that and more, visit whbc.ca. That's whbc.ca.